really hot, isn't it? <clears throat> How are you? Uh, sticky. Yeah, but... yeah. So it's the the podcast issue of you know fan off, windows closed, stifling heat. So if I electrocute myself on my own sweat, <laughs> don't be surprised. Um, that's a delightful place to start. So what a lovely picture. Yes. <laughs> if you don't include that bit. Uh, so how are you? How's your week been? It went quickly that week. Yeah, um, really did. I, what I've been doing, well, I've actually had quite a quiet week work-wise. Um, although I've been busy just tidying up loose ends. But uh, um, yeah, I've just been enjoying a bit of the weather when I can get outside. Yeah. Um, done my back in. I've got a trapped nerve somewhere. Ooh, not well, good. So, yeah, um, has been excruciatingly uncomfortable. There's nothing, well, there's lots of things worse than a bad back, but it is a, an awful pain, isn't it, a bad back? Yeah, I've had I've had bad, like, you know, bad backs before, but, oh, God, we're our two old men talking about bad backs. <laughs> Sorry, I'll start on my knees. Oh, it's, uh, <laughs> but uh, this is a ner- this is like a n- pain, like a really sharp pain. So it's, um, it's uncomfortable. Mm. But, uh, f- you know... But keeping on the beer, that's keeping me good. Medicinal me, beer, yeah. What What have you been doing this week? I have been mostly drawing again, um, which is good. Seeing as um, you're a professional illustrator, well, it feels like that at the minute. Which well, is it's good, good isn't it? That's it what, is. Yeah, it is. I guess I've been trying to be a professional illustrator for about a year and a half now, um, and it's yeah, the past sort of. Four, five, six weeks. It's kind of felt much more like that's what I'm doing, which is good. So today, I must have been working on a. Um, I think I mentioned it last week. This I'm doing uh, like a process article for a new illustration magazine called Graphite, which was kickstarted and launches any day. I think the first issue. No, I don't they, think you mentioned this last week no? at all. No, and they asked me to. Um, uh, provides uh do an illustration but provide like a step-by-step so photographs and some uh writing to go with it to sort of say how i approach a brief from from you know getting the brief to producing the final artwork so it's really nice really nice project to do a little sci-fi illustration um but it's weird how because i'm kind of documenting every step I realize how kind of archaic my process is um because you know my stuff is just old traditional art there's no digital stuff involved it's it's quite laborious and if i change things and i trace them and then you know flip the tracing paper over and transfer it yeah it's just you know i I think people people will read it and go what is he really doing it like this um but yeah it's been interesting I think you'd be surprised at how many people work analog still. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I think one thing I have learned from this is that I really do need to buy myself a light box because that'd shave hours off every illustration I do. I would have thought. Yeah, I told you there's one here. You did that I, I don't think. use. So just yeah. borrow it. See All what right. you think. I'll swap you it for a pie. Okay, <laughs> that's not a really good deal on my side, is it? But it better yeah. be a blooming good pie. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but you're welcome to borrow it. Yeah, and, well, and I, might have to, play. I might have to. I might have to take you up on that and see if it kind of suits the way I work. I it's like them. Your space that um, is the is the issue. Yeah, I just slide it down the side of the desk and um, yeah, 
Oh, no, it's good. I haven't used it for ages because I haven't done any drawing at all. Yeah. Rubbish. Um, yeah, but that's been my week. Really? So what's this Graphite magazine then? What, what's that? So it's kickstarted by uh, 3D Turtle, uh, who produced 3D Turtle magazine and 2D Illustrator magazine, I think. Um, they've got quite a big website, lots of tutorials and process videos and stuff on their site and how to do stuff. Um, and I was included in one of their uh, books last year called Sketching from the Imagination. Um, I got a six-page spread of kind of all my robots and things in there, which was lovely. First time I've been in a book. Um, and, yeah, so they contacted me again to um, to be part of this project. So it's it, uh, kickstart, successfully kickstarted. And now you can subscribe to it. I think it's graphitemag.com. But it looks good. It looks quite nice and, you know, shiny. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think it's just about um, traditional illustration, not not digital. Just the, I think it's their first kind of venture into purely analog stuff. <laughs> that might have to replace our soundtrack. What? Uh, that's a can of some cooking lager of some sort. It is a can of just been. We've got a really good wine shop on the corner of our street, and I used to go to it quite a lot when it first opened, and then didn't bother. I it just kind of. I, I don't drink that much at home, um, and I more often drink beer than wine. Um, but I went in there again recently, and they've got a mind blowing. Uh, assortment of beers from everywhere loads of british beers um loads of american european stuff and it's fab um so i am drinking a beaver town neck oil session session ipa uh and the can's great where's that from canada somewhere uh beaver town brewery uh i'm trying to find it the can looks lovely but it's um it's white type on yellow. <laughs> uh, I think it's Australian. All right. So it's, uh, yeah, it's like a kind of a Hogarden-y type looking beer. No, oh, I've got a, um, a local beer. Should yeah. I release it? Yeah. It's um, from, where is it from? Um, Droxford, which is south of here on the A32. Yeah. A lovely little village. And what is it you're drinking? Bo- Bowman Brewery. Never heard of them. It's called a Swift One. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's a hoppy British ale, Ooh. summer ale, I'd say. Very nice. Uh, cheers. Cheers. Yeah. Need mm. the, need a cold drink after today's hot. Been getting very yeah. cross with people today as well. Yeah. Have you been shouting at tradesmen? Well, not shouting, but just, you know, giving them the Paddington hard stare. <laughs> uh yeah and um what have i been doing I'm, i've been playing with my portfolio the um adobe thing oh right just putting my um just wrestling with portfolio and we've talked about it in the past it's the it's the thing you'd like you know I, i've spent three years in a new business not using any portfolio items and mm. being quite successful without it and i'm kind of like of the opinion do i really need it anymore but it's 
come to the... Uh, sorry, did you hear that ding? I did. I did. Uh, <laughs> it was like you just had an idea. No, it was my wife sending me uh, a message about our child who's screaming upstairs. Oh, dear. And I've just been going through that. And I've gone back to when I started, so 2013. And just looking at old work is so painful to try and be subjective about it and think, do you know what? I, I should put this in because somebody might see something in it that they find useful uh, yeah. And I just want to screw it up and throw away and, and probably put about two jobs on there that I've done. <laughs> but I'm not. I'm going for I'm going for an experiment. I'm going I'm just putting everything I've done, literally, because That's it's, cool. you know, free and it's easy to build it. Yeah. I don't have to pay much attention to uh, laying it out particularly. It, is it proving easy to use? And- yeah, it's really easy. It's basically just what they had as a pro site. And yeah. It's exactly the same. It's just a bit more smoothly produced. Um, and I've just used a plane. It's just a three-column grid. Um, and that's it. Cool. Um, yeah, so that is uh, that is at, well, it's not live yet, but it is at portfolio.elementdesign.co.uk. I'm slowly mm. filling that one out. I'll uh, look forward to having a troll through through your archives. Uh, uh, but anyway, yeah, no, there's, there's some interesting interesting work in there i think uh varied i'd say and hmm. um yeah so that's why i've been doing that i've been auditing a website for somebody which is kind of tedious what does that involve uh d- like going through what identifying what the problems are okay. um, looking at statistics and measurements and coming up with ideas of how to improve it mm. um i like to do that if i'm taking over a website i haven't designed um or a project that i haven't designed um, and I like to do that beforehand um, because it gives me a better scope of what it is that they want out of the thing rather than just yeah. changing things willy nilly. Um, so I tend to kick off with that. I just charge a little fee. It just tests my relationship with them. And then we go on from there, really. I would imagine getting some kind of quantitative analysis of it um, makes them look at it in a different way as well, often, does it? Yeah, well, obviously. Yeah, especially with smaller businesses who tend to feel a uh, totally own or have uh, get too close to their projects, um, and they feel that, and they end up thinking that the website's for them. Um, I just like to, you know, try and turn it around towards what their user is and what their client wants and what they want to find and what they want to see. Um, but there's normally just obvious things, you know. It's common sense. That's all it is. Mm. Um, but common sense often does uh, fall by the wayside sometimes with business. Yeah, I guess particularly when you've had something for a while, you just you're kind of blind to its faults, aren't you? Also, you know, if you're in partnership with someone, you might not agree on certain things, and therefore, and but you can't communicate that in a meeting when you're all in there, or you know, there's political things as well. So yeah. you know, I've got to take it with an open, open mind. But I, I just try and do this to uh, to start with statistics and start with data because um, mm. it's the strongest way to win an argument. I think. Um, yeah. So we knew that. Um, cool. And yeah, getting cross with tradesmen who promised to turn up at nine and turned up at half four. What was this? Plasterer, plumber, electrician? Ele- electrician. Oh. Mm. And he turned up at what time? Four, half four. Jeez. I know. What did you do? Half an hour's work and then bugger off. Yeah. Well, it's just when we were just feeding the kid as well. So it's not exactly uh, convenient. Anyway. Yeah. So uh, Project Kitchen rumbles on. And. That's it. Uh, other than that, I've just been yeah getting hot and bothered and going out and standing in a paddling pool every sort of two hours. <laughs> <laughs> Eating far too many ice creams. Might have to try that. Mm. Um, 
so with uh, on with the news, I guess. Well, I don't know. Should we introduce the show? Oh yeah, that was it. <laughs> I had to I had to cut and paste that last week. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, we didn't. We we forgot about it until about twenty minutes in. Yeah, well, it's twelve minutes now. So oh, I'll start. Welcome to North v South, the podcast that is and isn't about design. And uh, this is episode twenty-seven, um, and we are talking about uh, continuing our talk about imaginary worlds, aren't we? We're we are. talking about the recording of imaginary worlds uh, graphically, yeah, otherwise known as maps. <laughs> yeah, I love well, mine aren't that that uh, imaginary. My uh, little snippets, but um, but yes, maps. Onto the news. Yeah, have you uh, have you met our new neighbours? Whose new neighbours? Earth's. No. Proxima B. No. Uh-huh. I thought, isn't that a font from Google? <laughs> uh, Proxima Centauri, the uh, closest star to Earth, four and a quarter light years away. In, uh, I think, in the star sign of Sagittarius, perhaps. I think that's stre- um, stretching the word Proxima, isn't it? <laughs> it is a bit. But it's the closest, by a reasonable margin, I think, as well. Um, and it's got a planet. They've discovered a planet. And it lies within the habitable zone. So whenever they look at stars and find planets orbiting stars, they talk about habitable, habitable zone. So that's basically the distance from the star that uh, a terrestrial rocky planet has to be for liquid water to exist on its surface and that varies from star to star depending on the size of the star and the temperature and stuff like that so they found uh an earth-like well an earth-ish mass like planet um orbiting proxima b um orbits much closer to the star because it's a it's a red dwarf um not much bigger than jupiter the star itself and the, the planet orbits it in 11 days. So instead of our 365 days, it only takes 11. So it zips around this star. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it lies in the habitable zone. So it's probably rocky, although they're not entirely sure about that yet. Um, but it's interesting because red dwarfs are the most common stars in our galaxy. So to find our nearest neighbour... You know, the closest red dwarf star to us has at least one planet. You know, it's a, a reasonable suggestion that many of them do. Uh, and that means, you know, it's more um, more evidence that planets are ridiculously common in the galaxy. So it's quite exciting. So now over the next few years, kind of everyone will be turning their telescopes and um, equipment towards Proxima B to try and find out more about it. Mm-hmm. And that means the uh, red dwarf is an older star, is it? Yes. Older and smaller. Um, yeah. Mm. Um, well, back to Earth, but let's go back in time, Rob. Oh. Back to a time when um, Stonehenge was, uh, you know, like the O2... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they found um, they they found uh, something uh, just sl- two miles away from Stonehenge. They've made the discovery of uh, the fact that there were ancient wooden structures um, that predate Stonehenge in its current form. And uh, it's a really interesting article on I think it was in the Independent 
It's called Durrington Walls, the place where mm. these were found. Giant timbers knocked into the ground. But the interesting part of the story is that they found that um, this thing was dismantled pretty much uh, just after it had been built and ritualistically buried in some form or another. So kind of, you know, purposefully dismantled. Um, and they think at the same point, the original Stonehenge, which was, I think, much bigger, but with smaller stones. And in fact, uh, when I say much bigger, I mean, as in diameter. Um, and uh, I think Avebury as well was built around the same time, two and a half thousand years BC. Um, yeah. And they think it might presage the arrival of the Beaker people. The Beaker people, John. The Beaker people, who were a new type of person that came to Britain, where they came from, no one knows, who brought with them a certain type of pottery making. They also brought the capability for um, a different type of religion. So this article explores the sort of question whether there was some kind of schism or complete apocalyptic uh, uh, occurrence within the religion of Britain. Um, that changed society entirely. So much like the, when the Normans invaded, yeah. um, that it sort of almost had a, a year zero Pol Pot type, you know, just wiped yeah. the slate clean, but used oh, the existing uh, infrastructure at the time. So, yeah, it's fascinating. Um, I, I, you know, I love I love that kind of remnants of yeah. civilization. I don't think um, I'd heard of the Beaker people before. Uh, yeah, I've I've kind of vague. I've heard about them in all sorts of you know like meet your ancestors and things like that. But I I, I had a quick look and um, looked up what it was. But it, yeah, they were just a people that arrived on these shores. But I don't know any further than that. So I'm sure there's that, plenty to read about. Yeah, exciting stuff. Yeah, uh, I noticed that um, they've uh, the evidence for this this uh, structure is holes in the ground, post holes. Yeah, which is the thing that always makes me laugh a bit on something like Time Team, where they dig a hole and point it in and say, "Look, we found a post hole." <laughs> I could never quite get my head around that. Yeah, it's it it's definitely the key to a lot of archaeology because obviously before a certain time there weren't stone buildings. Yeah. Uh, I think the Beaker people brought the stones, the circular kind of, you know hut that you think of of, of ancient Britons having yeah. lived in um, but before that it was wooden so all you get are these little shadow markings but the important thing I think for archaeologists is that is finding the things that are buried at the bottom of the post holes because that kind of makes it easy to date yeah there was that classic time team the fake one did you did you like time team at all if you yeah, yeah, if you're not from the UK time team is like a uh, an archaeological dig in a, over a weekend um and it's basically uh, narrated by Baldrick from Blackadder. Uh, and I, I used to love it. But they, yeah, there was one that was fake. It was a Welsh farmer and he'd literally um, created like a Welsh, uh, like a Roman spring. Um, and he'd buried a Saxon sword and he'd put all sorts of things all over this site. But the the problem was that they found the, the Saxon sword un, uh, with um, with barbed wire running underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> And that kind of cooled the whole thing off. They were a bit suspicious beforehand, but that really was the nail in the coffin. Wow. <laughs> so was this the guy that was faking it? Was he party to all this or, or, or had it all been faked a long time ago? Uh, I think it had been faked a while ago. I don't think, I think they didn't, he didn't appear on the film. Um, and I think that's probably why after that. But it was, yeah. yeah, it's a really good show. I'm sure you can find it on, I'll, I'll try and find it for show notes on um, 
on YouTube. Oh, that's but, a good one. Yeah. Bay of Breeze is amazing, isn't it? I, I've never been. Oh, it's great. I mean, it's just, you know, huge. You know, it, you know, the sort of diameter of it and the size of the stones and everything. I mean, in a lot of respects, it dwarfs Stonehenge. Yeah, I'd really, I'd really like to go. Um, funnily enough, Julian Cope, do you remember him of um, Teardrop Explodes? He's yeah. he's a specialist in um, uh, pre prehistoric um, monuments in in Britain. He wrote a book called The Modern. Is it called the Modern Antiquarian? I think yeah. off the top of my head. Uh, it's definitely one for your Christmas list if you, See, like, if you like that. We could do a show on that. We could do a show on uh, pop stars and uh, their their kind of academic alter egos. Yeah, well, that sure that plenty well, of scope there. Well, I mean, that touches on our. Should we mention our book of the month? Oh yeah, while we're at it, because yeah, that's yeah, news, yeah, I guess. So yeah. that's another pop star. Um, so our book of the month, we mentioned it a few weeks ago, is um, Forty Five by Bill Drummond, uh, who was. A, he's a, he's a, a music producer, but he's better known for being the second person in KLF, uh, who were uh, a who had a, the original hit was Doctor in the Tardis, wasn't it? It was a Doctor yeah. Who kind of like glam rock dance yeah. track. But they sort of they more they morphed more into dance after that. They did. They did and, resurrect Tammy Wynette's career as well, didn't they? They did, didn't they? Um, they had a brilliant, they did a brilliant album that is really hard to get hold of called the Chill Out album. Yeah. And I think it's got bits of... Oh, do you know, I uh, think I had that cassette. Yes, brilliant. Brilliant album. And it's, um, it really was ambient, like early ambient. And yeah. um, it's got, I think it was with uh, the guy from The Orb, Patterson, Dr. Alex Patterson. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, if you can hunt that down somewhere, you, you cannot get it for love nor money, um, mm. you know, in, in current form. You'd have to get it secondhand. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's really expensive. It's like 30 or 40 quid LP on um, Amazon because I've looked it up. Crazy. But a good right, so one. what's the book what's the book about? Sorry. Yeah. Roughly. It's him hitting forty five. So forty five being a single. I think the original copy came out in uh, as a the design of it was a uh, a seven inch uh, format. Um so it's forty five RPM, forty five years old, and it's kind of memoirs and collection of stories from his life, uh ranging from you know, not early life, um but they're more sort of art projects. Hmm. So cool. one of them is he makes soup. He draws a line across Britain, a diagonal line. And if you live on this diagonal line, you can phone him up and he'll come to your house and cook you soup. <laughs> is he still doing that? I need to know if I'm on the line or not. <laughs> I don't, somebody else is doing a project like that. But another one of his is with with um, the guy who is from uh, Modiac, Zodiac Mindwalk. Do you remember them? Right, Love yeah. Reaction. Yeah. He... he buys a van and they do 24 hours round the M25 driving. <laughs> so he just does things like that. An art, art terrorist, I think. Yes. It's a brilliant well, book. Like one of my favourites and you're going to love it. I've put it in the post to you. Cool. Thank you very much. I look you're forward welcome. to reading that. You're welcome. Uh, so quickly back to the news. Uh, have you finished your bit about... Um... Yeah, it wasn't really... It's just one of those... Ones yeah. I collected, I just thought it was really interesting. Oh, I liked it. As I like to say, really interesting and um, about 500 <sighs> times per episode. It's all right. We'll forgive you. Um, <laughs> uh, so, uh, there was a, a bit in the news, and I've seen it over the last week or so, about um, a photography exhibition in London at Calvert 22 Foundation, which I've never heard of before. Um, but it's Relics of the Soviet Era, 
and there's been a few of these that have done the rounds sort of over the last year or two, kind of, you know, derelict Soviet installations and sort of remnants of the Soviet space age and things. Um, but these photographs really struck me, I think particularly because they're all photographed in winter. So these snow-covered kind of decaying spaces and objects uh, in Russia uh, and in the Eastern Bloc. And they're just fantastic images. So, you know, pictures of uh, kind of Cold War bombers. There's a submarine just just almost against a completely white background as if it's been cut out, but it's... it's I, lo- been... I love them. They're brilliant. Yeah. I've this first time I've seen them. I they're love the buildings. fantastic and kind of observatories and kind of lookout bunkers and things. And they're really sort of 1950s Thunderbirds-y looking things mixed with a bit of Simon Stallenhag. Exactly him, um, yeah. And they're just, they're just fab. They're by a photographer called Danila Tchenko. Um, and the exhibition is on until the 7th of August. Mm. Calvert 22 Foundation. That's part of their power and architecture season. Um, but looks, th- it just looks fantastic. 7th of August, we've, lost, yeah. we've missed it. Oh, 7th of August. Oh, mm. uh, yeah. That's a shame. Time flies, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, the pictures are all over the web, so you can have a look. Yeah, no, they, 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 these are brilliant. These are brilliant. Yeah. They're like something out of a video game, aren't they? Mm. Yeah, really. Sort have, of strange you, have, you, have you played a video game before? I have. I have played the odd video game. I mm. played. I got slightly obsessed with Call of Duty for a for a time. Ah. Uh, and they, there's a uh, a map in that which is near um, Chernobyl. And they don't look dissimilar. Mm. Um, yes, but I haven't <clears throat> haven't played any video games for some time now. No. Uh, have you got any other news? Yeah, I've got loads. I mean, because oh. because I haven't actually given any. Uh, we haven't done any proper news for ages, have we? No, or have we? Um, one one. Uh, let's go geeky. Okay, I'll um, go geeky after you then as well. Okay, there's uh, there's a thing on at the moment called the 10k challenge. Right. Can you build a website that is only 10K in size? <laughs> um, I think that's a fantastic challenge. Yeah. Um, I have to say, though, there's a cert- I read the rules because I thought, oh, this could be really exciting. But you're allowed to, um, oh, I don't know what they, 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 it gets all very technical, even for me. And you're allowed to sort of, you know, feed in certain things um, okay. using JavaScript. Um, it says, yeah, you're allowed to do lazy loading. What's lazy loading? I've no idea. I don't know. Um, so uh, you can, um, but it, it looks like a great challenge to try and do something in really, yeah. really tiny uh, data because it really makes you think about what is what do you need on the page. Um, yeah, so it's uh, it's at a-k-apart.com and I think you, when's the deadline for it? Um, I don't know. 30th of September. Right. And you can win 4,000 American dollars. Yeah, which if you're in the UK, is barely worth getting out of bed for. But yeah, absolutely. No, no it's, um, I, I think it'd be, it's got some good judges on it. Um, I think that it would be interesting to see people doing different things, not trying to create the standard type, wipes, uh, type uh, of website design that we see everywhere at the moment. Yeah, yeah I think it'd be really interesting. 
Yeah. So um, give it a go. I mean, yeah, I think if I'm really, really quiet, I might might have a go myself. Yeah. Well, good luck. It's uh, no likelihood of that, is there? Um, so yeah, that and then that. What, what's your techie thing then? Well, my techie thing is uh, interactive dynamic video. John. You what? Yeah. So I don't know who the people are behind this, um, but basically they have the the demo of this is a, a wire, a physical wire frame uh, figure, which is. Um, connected to a tabletop and it's articulated you know the hips elbows neck you know it's like a little little man they thump the desk next to this man to cause him to vibrate and they video it and they only video like a four or five second sort of uh snippet of this of the vibration and it's barely perceptible to the human eye you know you kind of see the initial vibration and then nothing but the software analyzes those vibrations and i guess from that it, it figures out where the the joints and the movement points and pivots are on that figure and then on a touch screen you can manipulate the video itself so you can like put your finger on his hand drag it and let go and it kind of springs back and you can bend him and move him but it bends at the actual pivot points um and all that just from a few seconds of vibration. And it's brilliant. I don't know on earth what on earth they use it for. Yeah, I think it's one of the interesting things is, you know, people come up with this technology and, and then it's other people often who who come up with the you know what what things that can be useful. But it's really clever and I haven't seen anything like it. Well it's a bit similar to the um to the overlay thing in Snapchat, isn't it? Have you seen that? Because my wife and oh, daughter, I know daughter were playing with it where you get like dogs and the tongue sticks out and stuff because that yeah. lays a grid over you and you have to stay still for a bit. And yeah. it actually just follows you wherever it's you clever, go. It's it? astonishingly yeah. clever. Um, but this is amazing. Yeah. Mm. It's like, and, and it kind of animates a little bit like a sort of Ray Harryhausen yeah. stuttery, stuttery kind of. Yeah. It's, it's a bit scary. It's yeah, it's just very, very clever. I tell you what, though, having um, sort of railed against technology over the last few few months, I have to say there's there's been following the news. There really are some leaps and jumps in sort of technology that's starting to touch on everybody's lives. That is mm. quite amazing. Um, and I'm going to forget entirely what I was going to talk about then. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, one of them was um, I saw it through Wired UK, and uh, it's a wriggly worm robot. Oh, okay. So these guys have developed a. Uh, it's entire. It's very hard apparently to make um, sort of organic style robots that aren't mechanical, that aren't joined together and, and use servos, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But they've managed to get this piece of little tiny rubber. It's like a little. It looks like a caterpillar. I'll post the um, the link on the show notes, um, and it's um, it harvests the energy from green light via a laser beam. That's how it powers itself. And just That's, that sentence, uh, exactly crazy, isn't it? It's just insane. Um, it's only fifteen millimeters long, but just think of the the, the implications for this: that we're mm. taking energy from things that aren't electricity, you know, yeah, and using it to power sort of semi-sentient little 
creatures that are yeah. going to be doing things like i don't know cleaning your windows or you know your roof tiles or whatever continually forever by just using some sunlight or you know whatever whatever that translates into we really are touching on incredible things absolutely yes fascinating yeah um, and at the other end of that spectrum is um, there's a really great film on hyperallergic, I think the site's called. I got this through Apple News, which I'm kind of using for scarfing loads of information. Okay. Um, it's, the, it's a film about an Italian, um, uh, it's called The Dying Art, the dying typographic art of cutting letters into steel. Oh, okay. And it's yeah, the, last, the last punch cutter. And uh, it's beautiful. It's just, and sad. Yeah. Um, but stunning. It's, it's quite typical of a lot of the, these kind of films that you see on Vimeo in particular. And they, they always seem to be on Vimeo, don't they? You know, these kind of artisanal things or, you know, the last boat builder in Donegal or, you know, the last uh, traditional clog maker in Blackburn. Yeah. The last kebab slicer <laughs> in Holborn. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, there's a key, the way they're shot and put together and it does... It sort of reinforce this amazing sort of poignancy about these dying arts and trades. Vimeo really seems to have a bit of a monopoly on it. Yeah, that there thing. was one a while ago about marble cutting that was done by a Japanese artist. Did you ever see that? Like these huge, massive slabs of marble yes, that I did. cut by industrial guillotines. Mm. Just incredible. Yeah, it was. I'll, I'll find that one as well. Grand. Yeah, yeah lo- there's lots of good stuff out there. Um, on this thing called the internet. But our show isn't about just reading things off the internet, is it, Rob? Tell Uh, us something interesting. What? (laughs) (laughs) You can't do that to me. I know, that was pressure. (laughs) Uh, No, you tell me something interesting. (laughs) There's been an an update to the Mozilla rebrand that we were talking about a few weeks ago. That's on the internet. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, go on. Asprey and Asprey. Uh, so this a, is the kind of semi-crowdsourcing, open source rebranding thing that they Yeah. Doing. So they've released their first efforts at the logo. And I think it's at this point that um, I think that it is. I haven't read the full article, and nor have I read the comments that have come back to the the, 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 um, the Mozilla Open Design Forum. So basically, if you haven't heard it, he, the Mozilla are rebranding, but they are using crowdsourcing to um to they're, they're, they're basically publicizing the design process so the poor design team that are having to put these things forward um are going to have to be have very thick skins mm. i think that's what um uh, asprey says in his article is you know i'm glad i'm a writer <laughs> <laughs> so let's just be clear so it's johnson banks that are creating all this aren't they but yeah. they're doing it via the input of the public consultation yeah okay um and whether that whether the public consultation is also internal but left on a comment system i, I don't know yeah I, I haven't i haven't read that far in it just sounds like a really painful way to uh to go about branding it's interesting that they've gone that the 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 the, the initial designs that they presented are in full color um mm. and are, I don't know, strange. Well, maybe that's because a couple of them probably wouldn't work in black and white. Yeah. No, uh, I, uh, The one at the bottom right, I don't really know what to make of that. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I think it's trying to make the word Mozilla, but it just shows yeah. the the and, and to for us to critique this is so unfair, and that's it why is. I think there's the open design thing is it's never going to work. <laughs> uh, but um, I wish them all the all the all the luck in the world. It's an it interesting like, exercise. Yeah, I'd love to be involved in it if I had you know the patience of a saint and uh, and, and not such skin a ter- of a rhinoceros. Yeah, not such a terrible uh, flaky temper. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah. Um, so that, that's interesting. It rumbles on. Yeah. I think I, I can't remember when it finishes. I think it was. I think it's September. I think it's soon. So we have to see what the next the next iteration is. Yeah, but check it out. Mm. Check um, it out. One more bit of news from me. Well, one and a half maybe. Uh, Zavi Boo, a photographer, bless you, <laughs> has produced a series of photographs called. Oh, the project is called. Ornithographies. Ornithographies. Ornitho, almost like ornitho, as in birds. Uh, and they're kind of multiple exposure photographs of birds in flight or flocks of birds in flight. Wow. Uh, Where do you find this stuff? It's brilliant. <laughs> they're amazing, aren't they? Yeah. So they, instead of seeing a single bird in a single frame, the whole uh, multiple explosions of this bird are then uh, have been melded together to create they're like ribbons of, of uh, bird flight. And they're, they're just fantastic. They, they, they show, I think particularly the ones where you've got multiple birds, they show that, you know, the kind of randomness that you observe when you just watch them is, you know, isn't really that random. You know, the the way they fly and the way they move is, you know, coordinated and they're just beautiful, beautiful photographs. I mean, a lot of them look man-made, don't they? They look like some sort of crazy uh, sort of Leonardo da Vinci-esque solar helicopter yeah. or something. They're, they look like 3D renders pl- yeah. posted over kind of landscape photography yeah. yeah lovely lovely things it'd be interesting to see if they've got a film about how it's made yeah awesome fab stuff uh, and the other thing is something else that we have mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about nostalgia which was uh, marina amaral the photographer who recolors historical photographs uh, she she's been getting a lot of uh, attention. She has, she? yeah, massively, yeah, and and um, and happily so because she's yeah. very talented. I, um, I think people don't appreciate how difficult what she does is. No, um, and she's totally self-taught as well. Oh, is she, yeah. Um, Wide have got a nice article um, that shows it's got those clever photographs where you can slide the middle bar and kind of see the before and after. So you can see the the black and white original photograph on the left, and then a coloured version on the right. Um, and it's just it's just a great little thing to play with, and interesting because then you can very much see the choices that she's made. Um, you know, why is that coat red? Why is the one next to it purple? Um, you know, I'll have to. I haven't really dug into how she works, but I wonder if there's any method to to how she makes those decisions. Um, so that's it. That's my news. You got any, any anything else you want to throw at us? No, I was going to ask you a question, though. You've been talking about pens again. You, yes. You, a new pen. What's your pen? Because I was curious. I thought I might have a, might have the same pen. 
Oh, it's a carbon platinum. Oh, I've got a carbon pen, which is oh. a pl- plastic pen. Yeah, this is plastic as well. It's well, got a pointy end, but I don't think yours has, has it? What do you mean by pointy end? Which end? Both. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a gold nib. Yeah. Uh, and then it's, yeah, it's got a plastic. It's, yeah. There's only like a lightweight, it's like seven quid. Oh, right, yeah, expensive. it's got like a hexagonal lid. Yes. Yeah, that's I've got it. that. Yeah. Really I, nice I've to been draw using with. that. Yeah, it is nice. Um, um, Ian McHugh, Will Freeborn and Mac Chatter. Uh, or Chater. We're discussing it on uh, Twitter. Ah, and right. And how really nice it was to draw with. So I thought, oh, let's have a go at that. Yeah, it's it's a bit more, um, it's a bit softer than the art pen. It, you know, the, in the, the blade bends a bit more. Blade, yeah, I don't the like nib. the art pen at all. That's you find it too of, rigid, don't you? It's the waste of money. Oh. Yeah. That's a no then. Yes. Oh. Uh, but yeah, the carbon platinum. The only nuts. thing is the ink really smells like disinfectant. It? Yeah. Oh. It's really it's really black. I've, I haven't ink. used it much. It's cracking ink. Yeah. Well, it doesn't crack. No, but it's uh, I'm available a good black for... ink. Yeah, so pens. And pens you might draw maps with. Mm. He says, segueing. I like it from one along along a along a peninsula onto an isthmus. Oh, I like an isth. Merry isthmus. Merry isthmus. I can ne- can never <laughs> pronounce it, but um, I like an ith- isthmus. Yeah, um, I love a map. I love a good map. We discussed it last week. Yeah, well, um, we should. We were talking about worlds and things, but yeah, we should say we we really struggled this week with subjects because we've had such little time to prepare. We were thinking, do we carry on with maps because it's a, might just see, be a bit boring for um, for listeners to sort of follow on. But I for the think, map haters, yeah, um, the the, deni- the deniers of directions, um, flat Earth society. <laughs> well, they, they they'd have maps, wouldn't they? They, they would, yeah. Um, but uh, I think that. It's uh, we we kind of ran out of time, so and we enjoyed ourselves so, so much talking about it that I think we we're going to carry on with like of the recording of places. Hmm. There was something that you had scheduled to talk about last week, wasn't there? And we cut you cut you off in your prime, and you never got a chance to talk about it. Really? Which, what was that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I assume that was on your one of the things on your list. Uh, I, I what some map things? Yeah. Um, well, I had a website of the week ages ago that we never got to, um, and I've lost it. Um, so I'm desperately trying to find it. But I think it's called Fantastic Maps. Oh, okay. Um, and have you seen that site? No. This site is made by a professional map maker who makes fantasy maps. Um, I don't know their name. Um, Jonathan Roberts. Oh. Um, he's on... Uh, Twitter is what how, is how I found him. Okay. He's got he's got fantastic guides on how to draw a map um, and tools that you could use, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I just think it was I haven't really had a huge amount of time to play with it, but I was um, I was playing a game, the sorcery series of games um, that if you haven't tried, and I've talked about them before, they're by a company called Inkle, and the the number four one is just about to come out. Um, and you play on a kind of hand-drawn map with uh, with counters, you know, like um, cut-out cardboard kind of figures, yeah. um, and you move across this map. And it is that kind of fantasy map is where I got my love of maps from. Um, Me too. I can't think of... What, I was trying to think today of where, before that, where I'd seen maps. 
Um, I don't think there would have been. I think Lord of the Rings is the first thing that I saw, you know, looking through that book and thinking, wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah. or, or maybe C.S. Lewis. I don't know. What about you? Where do you I think? Do, I don't actually it? remember seeing maps of Narnia. Uh, are they I, in the books? I, I, I guess I probably, um, you know, I like an atlas. So as a little kid, I probably would have been poring over an atlas. But yeah, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, and any other of those, you know, a lot of fantasy novels that I kind of read when I was young. You know, they always had a map. You had to turn down the page on that uh, on that spread so that whenever someone were somewhere was mentioned later on in the the book, you could you could quickly skip back and work out where it was but yeah the fantasy maps were the definitely the thing that interested me i think and that fantastic maps is just brilliant you know when i got into um dungeons and dragons as a kid and i always used to draw maps um whether kind of maps of you know huge land masses and cities or kind of small maps of you know a citadel or a dungeon or a village, um, I'd have killed for, for this website back then. Um, just brilliant. Well, I just ki- I'd have just killed for interactive maps of some sort. You know. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I did, these are amazing. Yeah, they are beautiful things. Um, I, I used to do the same as record, because I think in, in a lot of films you see Dungeons & Dragons where they've got real characters on the on the table etc etc but we played entirely imaginary yeah i did uh, as well dungeons dragons without any figures or anything it was just literally pieces of paper that a squared paper that you then record the the map on yeah we we had um before we talk about like sort of yeah we had this game called sorcerer's cave which was brilliant game where you had these giant cards they were kind of a5 i'd say roughly and you had you you dealt them out and each person would lay them from their end uh, of the, of a room you could use an entire room because it was quite a big game um, and it would create a dungeon so you might get a corner or a turning or a cavern and if you got a cavern then you draw a card and it might be a beast or a yeah. tr- treasure and we, we'd, it would take up the entire lounge with these things and then you know i think it, we didn't have cameras in those days but that would be you know that would create your own map randomly it was a uh, fantastic that's cool i think i remember game. seeing that when i was a kid but uh, we never had it yeah <laughs> Yeah, it was good. You didn't mm. want to get. You didn't want to meet the Sybil in it, though. No, no. Why do you ever want to meet a Sybil? I don't know. I, I no. <laughs> I don't know who she was. I can't remember what she did. Uh, but I just remember her being the worst thing that you could meet. Uh, Maybe she was just really boring. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> like the demigorgon from uh, Stranger Things. Have you watched Stranger Things? No. Just a- spoiler. No, 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 that's fine. All right. Oh, no, the demigorgon. Yeah, the thing at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, what the hell was that? What is a demigorgon? I don't know. Sounds like a soft Italian cheese, doesn't it? <laughs> Does a little bit. Uh, so uh, why do you think we're obsessed with maps? Why do you think we're obsessed with so many things? But what what is it about maps from that, again, is connected so far back in our consciousness? It's... um. Well, it's mapping the unknown, isn't it? It's putting names to places. It's exercising the fear of the unknown, I guess. You know, as a a more primitive person or primitive society, you know, the, the bounds of your village might be unknown or the bounds of your hunting areas might be unknown. Um, so I guess naming things 
does it make if you name something does it make it less scary certainly if you know the unknown is scarier than the known isn't it definitely well i mean i haven't done any research into this like map recording um when did it start when 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 are the first maps well do any survive the first maps were of the the heavens so stellar maps star maps are the first types of maps um but i think the first map the first sort of known map was the map of monday right um which is where the word map comes from which i didn't know do we do we really think that 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 is the uh, so the map of Mundi from the thirteen hundreds right or the twelve hundreds um the one have you been have you seen it it's in Hereford Cathedral I haven't there is one there um it's very strange um and it, it has that kind of what we were talking about last week it's um it's part religious part uh so it's part secular spot part spiritual but mm. the worlds are, are, are muddled up because I think even you know in those days that was life, you know, that it was, you know, religion was part of your day. Yeah. And there was no reason to, to question it, but it was completely made up. Like all the animals on it are weird, but there's, there's loads of cities on it. There's a, there's a really good website that I found, um, which is a completely interactive version of the, of the original vellum uh, that is there. I think we went to university to go and see it and I'm pretty sure that it wasn't accessible at that when we got there yeah for some reason (laughs) yeah so there's no real way there was a print of it on the wall that you could look at Um, yeah but you didn't get that sense because it's actually got a three dimensions to it because it's vellum it's like you know slightly ruckled at the edges um but that's the first kind of recording is it of a map you can't just thinking about it it can't be can it because the romans must have had maps the romans yeah they just drew straight lines everywhere yeah there's a re- uh, I found a really good uh, interactive uh, Roman map of Britain um, yeah. that is using kind of vector-based maps um, oh. to build old, you know, looking at Britain. It's it's amazing without the uh, looking at Britain without the motorways on there. You kind of yeah. look because you look at the southern Britain, you kind of run left to right with a lot of the motorways, um, you know, M3 uh, and M4 running from east to west. Yeah. But they don't exist, and in and in the Roman times, everything came from kind of the Thames estuary inwards to from from uh, from east to west or south straight up, you know, bypassing London. Yeah, um, there wasn't, you know, so that there weren't there weren't the crisscross of roads like you think there are now yeah. nowadays. So they st- still had the A one, didn't they? Looking at that, <laughs> yeah. that website, yeah. <laughs> but that's on the archaeological archaeology data service. Um, there's a whole Roman thing there if you want to waste some hours wandering yeah, around cool, ancient Britain. Uh, yeah, so with maps, um, I'm, I'm guessing it's a way of recording or understanding topography or the landscape that you're in, but also recording, like you said, who owns what? You know, where my, Where's my boundary? Yeah. Where's your boundary? Um, Whose sheep are these? <laughs> and aren't they gorgeous? Um, but it's also I just thought it's really connected to graphic design because it is a way of uh, of simplifying complex systems uh, and boiling down um, complex uh, organic things into simple 
instructions of like you know this is how you get from here to here and this is how you um you know this is where we live this is where you live this is what separates us these are the dangerous parts and uh, yep. you know here be whales be dragons oh yeah the whales aren't <laughs> that dangerous are they <laughs> <laughs> unless you're plankton yes then they're lethal uh krillas yeah um yeah, I wonder if map makers, early map ma- makers, kind of in prehistory, because there must have been some form of maps, you know, way back when. I wonder if they had the same sort of power that, you know, kind of a a medicine man would have or like a village elder, you know, the person who could draw you, draw the map. Or I wonder if there was that kind of form of maps kind of that early. I have no have, idea. Have maps always been purely visual? Can you have a can you have a, a spoken map? Well, the a- a- Aborigines, uh, yeah. Australian, they 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 their song lines are yeah, how you get from one place to another. Bruce Chatwin's song lines, is a good, yeah. good book about that. Uh, it's interesting you say about them being uh, like a form of graphic design. Uh, notice you you've put about the Harry Beck London Tube map. You know, that's kind of almost like the the ultimate iteration of it, isn't it? You know, early maps were, I think the the artists, instead of trying to simplify it, they were probably trying to make it as real as possible, weren't they? And kind of as as um, recognisable as possible to. Yeah, to if you look audience. at a lot of like sixteenth, seventeenth century maps of Great Britain, you know, areas there, they, they you know the the little towns kind of resemble what the um the church looks like yeah. and the and the fortified structure or whatever that is you you kind of get little pictures of it so it is mm. like a little tiny icons and it is very much gamified isn't it um yeah. or you know like um oh what's the the opening titles to game of thrones have you seen oh, that yeah which is astonishing aren't they but that Absolutely. that is that kind of fancy map to the nth degree it is um but then the tube map is something that is totally schematic and you don't get that much in fantasy <laughs> fiction or fantasy stuff where the map has been completely almost turned into a flowchart. Um, I was reading about him earlier and it, it wasn't a happy story that, and he became, I think from what I've read, quite a bitter man about the fact that he was never um, given the chance to improve on it. It was given to other people mm. um, and he almost became obsessive. I think his wife got ill from his, him, obsessing about it and he was never paid uh there seems to be a sort of debate whether he was paid or never really paid for 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 coming up with the idea was he just an employee yeah yeah which is like you know tough you know yeah it's a bit isn't it (laughs) that's the way it goes but um it's a brilliant um it's a brilliant map isn't it did you you ever see the great bear which was a kind of modern version of it i I love that i remember who that was by wasn't it It had artists on it didn't it rather than um tube stations yeah yeah, I mean, there's a dozen. A lot of people have have done that sort of thing since. Subsequently, they? but yeah, but that was the first one. I yeah, think. yeah, it was fantastic. Other good maps uh, in in culture. Uh, I was thinking the Indiana Jones map in yeah. Raiders. You that know, you the see, when he's flying, it, it kind of pans across. Yeah, I love that. Where's mm. where's that come from? I don't know what the that must be inspired from because the whole all those films are literally ripoffs of 1950s kind of. Yeah, absolutely. That'll be adventure, sort of Casablanca sort of thing, or yeah. The Maltese Falcon, or that kind of thing, wasn't it? 
the Maltese Falcon. What a film that is. Yeah. I love that. Um, yeah, and then I was thinking about Winnie the Pooh, the map in that. Yeah. But actually, that must be one of the first maps I saw. You yeah. know, first kind of drawn maps, the Hundred Acre Wood. Yeah, I, I think um, mine might be, yeah, the other one is Prydane, is it? The Lloyd Alexander books. Ooh, don't know that Ever one. read those? Yeah. Um, the Chronicles. Um, yeah, they're really good. I can't remember what the, the Chronicles are called. But that, that had a map in it. It was kind of based on a sort of fantasy version of Wales. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of those early maps for me will have been the kind of early fantasy books that I read. Um, stuff that I've not, I haven't reread for 30 years. So they've kind of just disappeared into the mists of time. But kind of like by people like um, is it David Eddings and um, Gemmell. Yeah, those... Those kind of chaps. Scott Gemmell used to play for it's, Nottingham Forest. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's the Archie Gemmell. Archie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. But I, I put a couple of links up about um, cartographic additions and cartographic omissions. The, the additions is something that's always fascinated me about maps and modern maps in particular. Well, I they? guess that. I guess that goes back quite a way. Well, the modern thing is trap streets. Ah, right. I know. I saw, yes, because we got done for this. <laughs> Did you? Yes. We're tracing a, a London street map. Really? And you yes. got out by a trap street? Yes. Well, maybe you should explain it then. <laughs> well, um, that's their way of... Uh, they put in these tiny little uh, streets on um, the A to Z, was it? I think we yeah, might have traced... Most, most map makers do it. Right, okay. Yeah, and um, we had used this on a map for... It might not have been us using it. It might have been the agency who supplied the artwork for it. Mm. But we definitely got caught up and we had to buy the map from uh, from A to Z and license it, which was yeah. outrageously expensive. And they charged like per inch square, um, something outrageous. <laughs> but yeah, basically there was like a road that continued on across another main road and they'd put in, um, and, and it was actually in reality blocked off, but they'd continued the road all the way yeah. through. I think that was that, does that sound right? Right. About Absolutely. Tra- so uh, cartographers and particularly businesses that make their livings from selling maps, whether digital or real paper maps, they will put in, and they call them trap streets, so an additional uh, street on a map. So it might be a tiny little cul-de-sac in a street of London or uh, an alleyway, or they might rename uh, a little street, uh, or like you you found out, like, extend a street where it isn't really extended. And by doing that, if someone uses that map, they tend to just copy it, you know, street for street. So you can see who's maps being copied and stolen and the copyright infringed. Um, but I assume it went back to, you know, um, the, the kind of earliest uh, maps that were produced for public consumption because it would have been an incredibly time-consuming process to make them. So I'd imagine cartographers would do everything they could to, to protect their intellectual property. But yeah, it's, I'd never heard of anyone getting caught out by that. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't. Yeah, I definitely, definitely were were caught because um, yeah. you used to just trace over, you know, take a scan of the A to Z and then trace <laughs> over it for like site maps and stuff. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I didn't know they they that word even existed. Yeah. That's brilliant. And there's this kind of um, there's a recentish Doctor Who story that uh, that used trap streets. 
uh, as like a, a meeting place for aliens or something. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're very cool. I think they've been in a few books and things. Oh, I, um, love, I love facts like this. This, is, great, this is what it? this is all about, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the flip side of that, so that was kind of an addition to a map that doesn't exist. And the flip side is is something that happened to Google recently, which is they were accused of removing Palestine from their maps. Um, and they say it was a an error because they don't show Palestine as a, a country. They show the areas of like the Gaza Strip and the West Bank as named places. Um, and an error in a particular map meant that the, they weren't named in this particular map. Um, but the article I was reading in The Guardian goes on and it talks about the fact that maps have always been used kind of like this. And like you were talking about, uh, who owns what and whose land is is what. And they've been used very politically, sort of when we were colonising America, um, that maps would show where the colonists were and they typically didn't show where the Native Americans were. And simply that fact of removing them from the maps and putting the colonists in their place is kind of reinforces the the belief that it's the colonists have the right to be there. Um, and that was a big thing in sort of colonial map making, you know, in, in all, all across the Americas. Um, yeah. Well, you never really thought about maps being that political, but obviously uh, you think about uh, Israel, I mean, and the, yeah. And, and what about Germany and Russia? Did they change yeah. all the maps? Did they alter what, what became of um, France and Vichy France and yeah, maps. I'd I'm love sure to see those kind be. of maps. Yeah, this yeah, the, maps from sort of 1943 or something, showing the German Empire. Yeah, I know. I like, I like, I like this stuff. Let's let's crack on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, what have you got next? Well, I was thinking because that kind of takes you back to the kind of like wiping out of uh, of civilizations, isn't it? If 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 you've got an invading um, party um, and they want to uh, sort of. Create, uh, take control of the indigenous population the best way is to remove all of the um essences of that ruling the previous ruling yeah. classes and uh that's what we were just talking about with the um the pre-stonehenge people you know mm. just just knock everything down and build over the top of it well, you know history is written by the victors isn't it that's that's kind of it in yeah. reality and and maps have a powerful powerful way of doing that and yeah I guess with digital maps now, um, they're so incredibly powerful, um, you know, being able to pop from 3D to 2D satellite uh, detail, um, yeah. so, you know, t- topographical. Um, uh, and then you've got Google Map uh, Earth, haven't you, where you can look at everything in slight three dimensions. Yeah. I mean, I, I used, uh, and obviously I used, and for research, you know, using maps um, for the Frank project was central to me understanding where they were um yeah it's it's um there was one thing that made me cross today um this the sad story in italy of the of the earthquake Mm. um and the guardian going from an article like this about the map and um which is you know absolutely fascinating to a story where they, all they'd done in the story was see what the, you know see what the towns were like before the earthquake yeah. and they had literally it was just a page with screen grabs from street map yeah that, that was that was it i mean that that's terrible journalism isn't it, it and is. i know i know it's we're not talking about that at the moment but it kind of says the power of the map and the laziness of the map to use you know right so here it is it's gone wiped out and here's some you know, screen grabs. That's, that's, that's the journalism. You know? mm. It's kind of like, 
Yeah, I thought that was a bit annoying. Yeah, no, that's not really relevant to what we're no, doing. No, but I know, I, I know exactly what you mean. What else is? What was your other thing with with maps? <clears throat> a big map. A big map. A big map for a big place. Um, the solar system where we live. Uh, pretty how, big. How can you map a? a sp- <clears throat> how can you map space? You have uh, coordinates for space generally. Up, down, and across. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, but this map, um, so it's called the, ba- the Baltimore Grand Tour. It takes its name from the Grand Tours that sort of 17th, 18th century people did. Um, but they've created a map in Baltimore um, of the solar system, and they've done it to scale. The scale is 1 to 2.8 billion um, so the sun is at the centre of this map. And so on the southeast corner of Charles Street and a parking garage is uh, a white sphere. And that is that represents the sun. And then uh, on top of a tiny little metal stick uh, by parking lot entrance, uh, again on Charles Street, is a, is a little dot, which is Mercury. I don't know how far away that is from the sun at this scale, quite far. And then there's another metal rod uh, a bit further out, and it's got Venus, and it's like a marble. Uh, so they've mapped the entire... What? Why in Baltimore? I don't know. Why not? It's brilliant. Yeah, it's just fab. We did this at school, though. Did you do it at school? No. We did it at school in the grounds, and... Uh... Yeah. And um, but we did it at obviously a smaller scale, but we walked bl- blooming miles to get to the end. <laughs> I bet you did. <laughs> we did it with like yeah, little tennis balls and uh, ping yeah. pong balls and stuff. Um, it obviously wasn't to scale, but yeah, we did the same thing. But this is brilliant. But what yeah. I, I want to know what's the Grand Tour Baltimore thing? Yeah, the, I, I don't have to know read why. this. Yeah, oh, well. there's, there's another thing on Vimeo actually of another art project where they I think they go to Death Valley or somewhere like that, one of these kind of deserts outside uh, LA. Uh, and they use cars and drive them in circles to map out the scale of the the solar system. And, uh, you know, it's like five miles across this map that they do. It's great. I love that kind of massive scale. It shows just how, um, how bloody big the distances are that we're talking about. Yeah, well, it's impossible to get my head around things like yeah. that. You know, I'm, I'm a, uh, a Neanderthal when it comes to that. Well, I shouldn't be like that, you know. Neanderthals were pretty clever. Yeah, they they may well have been cleverer than us. <clears throat> yeah. You got any, uh, I think we might have to skip website of the week. It's good because I ain't got one. Yeah, good. I think I might dive straight into a pie. Now, cool. we did we did last week talk about quiches and all sorts of heresy. You haven't gone I, for something silly like it. No, I've come to my senses. Have you? Well, I, didn't, I just didn't get it. My wife's brought me back a pie from the seaside. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, is it a fish pie? No. Have you got a fish pie? I haven't. No. What have you got? What have you got? I've, I've got a cottage pie. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. Potato well, topped. We, yeah. No pastry. Is it right. a pie, John? Well, we were going to have this discussion, but I've let everybody down by not by having no, a pie. It's fine because we'll, we can we can come back to this discussion. This can be, this can be an entire episode. <laughs> this could actually be episodes twenty eight to thirty eight yeah. <laughs> discussing what a pie is. 
But yeah, so I've gone for a cottage pie. You right. call it pie, it's like, you know, fish pie or cottage pie, shepherd's pie. Oh, my wife calls it shepherd's pie all the time. It drives me mad. That's got, that's got lamb in it. Shepherd's. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, cottage pie doesn't. Shepherd's yeah, pie. No, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Simple, isn't it? Yeah. So this is a Sainsbury's sort of bog standard uh, um, pie, mashed potato top. And um, it's all right. It's a classic recipe one. Right. It's got little bits of carrot in it. That's, no, that's, that's, that's heresy. <laughs> it tastes like something you'd eat at school. Yeah. Yeah. This doesn't mm. sound good. No. Um, no, it's pretty poor. The mashed potatoes dry as anything. There's plenty of gravy, but it's just, you know, mince and carrot. Right. It's a three. Cool. I've, mine is a, um, a chicken and uh, gammon pie mm. from N.A. Griffiths in Leon Solent, which is uh, kind of between Portsmouth and Southampton on the coast yep. there. Um, grumpy butcher apparently um and um it's like a it's like a high-sided like a tall scotch pie and i've opened it up and it just inside looks horrific it's like you know the bit in alien when uh, this thing bursts out of his stomach Yes. And there's and he's kind of a robot, so there's all sorts of white bits and bobs. Is that right? Oh, no, 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 that's a different. A no, sorry, not no. But what's the robot's name? Yes, uh, Ash. Yeah, and played by Ian Holm. Well, that's what the sauce looks like here. It's oh. like it's got way too much. I don't know what it is, like um, corn flour or something like that. It's really salty. I mean, when I say salty, it is like someone's poured a load of salt into the pie. Um, the pastry is, yeah, a bit weak. It's probably the best thing about the pie. Is your wife going to be horrified that she's brought you back a substandard pie? Oh, no, it's quite good that we've had. I quite like getting substandard ones. It's Gives more interesting to moan about. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, the gammon is terrible. Uh. Like, yeah, it's a terrible pie. It's getting one. <laughs> it's the worst pie I've had. <laughs> Wow. It's so salty, I can't even begin to tell you. Maybe that's because it came from the seaside. Yeah, maybe it's um, it's yeah. a sea pie. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that's a disappointing way to end the show. Yeah. And um, we did also mention that we owe each other uh, a portrait, don't we? Yeah, we do. We also, I was going through trying to find subjects of, you know, what we're going to talk about in the future. Um, and yep. I was writing down all the all all the subject matters from all of the previous shows, and I think we've made lots of promises about producing all sorts of things, and haven't done one thing. Okay. So we either continue just letting people down, <laughs> or we have to go and revisit those things and try and uh, catch up with some of them. Okay. Uh, I'd have to remind myself, but one one of them is a portrait, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, you, I, um, you I need to take care. a selfie and send it to me. All clothes on, please. Okay. And uh, and I will I will do the same. This was in the style of um, Julian Opie, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Give it a go. Okay, let's do that. All right. Well, we'll end it there. Yeah, I think so. On that on that disappointing note. Okay. Well, um, enjoy the rest of your party, John. Yeah. <laughs> have you still got beer left, or have you finished your beer? Uh, no, I've got beer. I'm just finishing mine off. There you go. I'm pouring mine out. All right, well, it's been a delight as ever to talk to you, John. I hope everyone's enjoyed listening to us waffle on about maps. 
Yeah, we'll it was, back it was next good. week with something startling, <laughs> something in, interesting, yeah. and hmm-ing. Yeah, I don't know what that means. All right, so John. yeah, have a lovely weekend. Got any and weddings you? on? You got weddings? Yeah, of course. Yeah, we have. Of course. It's the <laughs> yeah. summer. You have a good one too. I'll yeah, I'm having a day off tomorrow. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. You're going to just lay in the paddling pool all day? No, we're going to uh, my sister's birthday and we're going to, we've got a family um, beach hut down in uh, Dorset. How lovely. Yeah. We're going down there. Well, grand. Have a nice time. Thank you very much. I'll all speak right. to you soon. Will do, John. Ta-da. Take care. Bye.